These days, we're really spoiled for choice when it comes to choosing a learning vendor. But how do you choose one? Well, this is a topic we're going to be addressing in today's podcast. Hi, I'm Raf Dolnowski, and this is... Click Next to Continue. Welcome to another episode of Click Next to Continue. Uh, today, we're covering an interesting topic. Uh, we're covering the topic of choosing a learning provider. Um, but before we get stuck into this topic, I do have a special guest on the podcast today. I've got Con Satidis. Welcome, Con. G'day, Ruff. How are you? I am very well. And uh, yourself, how's the, how's the week treating you well? Yeah, been good so far, Ruff. Uh, a few things on the go, so really excited and uh, taking a new, new direction too. So we can talk a bit about that later on as well. Oh, okay. Excellent. Well, uh, actually, as part of that, um, obviously, you've got quite a following on social medias, but for anyone who's maybe not familiar with who you are, do you want to give a quick snapshot of who you are and what you're about? And uh, I guess, uh, what gets you excited about uh, in the learning space? Thanks, Ref. Uh, who I am? I'm Conso Titus. I'm a, I position myself as a strategic learning advisor. Uh, more mm-hmm. recently, uh, in the last couple of months, I've been looking to start up my new business venture called The Learning Brokers. That's basically mm-hmm. looking at uh, as a matchmaking service for organisations and individuals who are looking for having a learning need and looking for a solution, so supporting them in developing that solution and then finding an appropriate vendor uh, to develop that solution and deploy that for them. So thus, while we're probably here today as well, also moving mm-hmm. into uh, the broader area of uh, social selling, LinkedIn training, um branding and so forth and uh, more recently we'll be starting to get involved in digital marketing so there's a few things on the go i think it's okay. important uh it's important to diversify yeah no absolutely that sounds uh, like a nice nice little cross section and uh obviously uh one of the reasons I've, I've got you on this podcast so um that i guess you know finding uh, a learning provider is something that you you've spoken about a little bit and, and i think you know it's it's very very important um to discuss because uh one not all learning providers are equal. Um, but two, uh, if you are looking for a learning provider, um, it means that you've obviously got some kind of gap around learning and, and, it, and it becomes quite difficult to understand, well, what makes a good learning provider? What makes a bad learning provider? And how do you find the provider that's going to be right for you, your organization and your people? So um, diving straight into the questions we've got for today. So um, I guess the first one is, is when you've kind of decided, yeah, we need someone to help. Uh, with a particular need, and we believe that need is going to be fulfilled with uh, by someone helping us with learning. How do you go about finding um, the learning providers that you should be considering, uh, like as a starting point, even? Yeah, that's that's a good point, Raf. And I suppose uh, the beauty of why I can comment on this is because I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been both a director mm-hmm. of learning uh, at the Australian Taxation Office, I'm managing along with a couple of colleagues, a whole twenty three, twenty four thousand wide workforce in learning. So I've been in a situation where I've had to contract, uh, had to investigate, had to identify learning providers, but also more recently I've been able to work on the other side of the fence, which is about uh, being a vendor in the uh, in the learning space. So let's start mm-hmm. off by, um, I mean, and I think humans like to sort of put things in three categories. So I've kept it simple. I, I use three key uh, criteria, I suppose, or approaches to sorting your learning provider. So one of the first things I'll look at is um, focus on some of the the previous work your potential provider is doing. So the first thing you might do is we're in an educated market at the moment. Social media is so rich 
with information, not only um, your LinkedIn's and your Twitter's, but even your Google's, mm-hmm. your Instagram's, a variety of platforms that are out there. So start, uh, I suppose, looking and finding some providers you might be able to identify as being suitable to your need. You can also come to people like myself, as what we call a learning broker, and discuss mm-hmm. your needs and say, well, who do you know who's working in this space? Who can help us? Who can support us? And we can also put you in the right direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I guess, you know, that that, that coming to, to yourself is, I guess, you know, that you're able to, I guess, identify people, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So if it's the first time you're looking for a learning provider or if, or if you're just part of a business area that generally doesn't have much touch points with learning, you probably don't have a framework for being able to assess what makes a good learning provider and what doesn't. So I guess that's when you can come with someone who, who's got a bit of industry experience and, and get, I guess, a bit of guidance on, you know, what are you actually even looking for um, rather than, I guess, you know, going the out there into the wild and, I guess, you know, doing a bit of tire kicking uh, on uh, learning provider websites, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Look, uh, most organisations that I would work with would uh, already have done their solution or would have had strategized, or would have done focus groups within the organisation, would have identified the learning need, the capability gap, done some performance consultancy, and would be able to come to a conclusion about the type of solution they're looking for. Ideally, I'd love to work in that space with them because it's a it's sort of collaborative effort. But notwithstanding that, if they've already come to a conclusion of the type of solution they're looking for, that's where we can help them identify the the providers that can support them to deploy that solution. So one of the first things, if I move into maybe Raf now, one of the first things I, I would do is mm-hmm. be an educated market. I'd start looking at some of the um, providers and looking at their performance. Now, some mm-hmm. could be listed on the stock exchange. So it's easy to get some information about one or two of these providers. Some are private organisations, so therefore not listed. So you would look at not only... Um, their social media profiles, but also look at some of the um, organisations they've worked with. Now, providers will always give you references to follow up with. Now, we know, you know, references are always going to be the ones that they want you to talk to. That's okay. That's great. And please, yep. you do talk to those. They're, they're really good. But also try to have a look and see who else has done some work with them. But when you're talking to these to these references, this is one key thing I think people need to do. Don't just talk about the final product. Don't just talk about the solution that was eventually deployed, ask them about the journey. Yes, ask, yep. them about, ask them about the collaboration. Ask them about the iterations. Talk to them about delays and how they were managed. Talk to them about some um, obstacles and um, hurdles you had and how they were managed by both yourself as these, you know, the organisation but also by the, the vendor themselves. I think it's important people get an understanding of the journey because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. most vendors do deliver. Now, there might be a, a couple of weeks, a month, because of various needs and issues. But it's important to understand the journey and how that journey you know, was you know, transacted and how that journey was um, was followed. It's important to understand what happened during that journey. Yeah. And to that point, I guess, having a look at um, you know past work and viewing their, their social profiles, something that is going to come up uh, very often uh, on these profiles is learning awards. So I guess how how much weight do you put on learning awards? Let's say you've got you know two two providers, one pretty much year on year is where you know winning platinums and golds and all that sort of thing, and then you've got another provider that maybe you know periodically has an award here or there. How much should that I guess guide uh, which provider you I guess put on the shortlist versus um, ones that that don't make the cut? Look, uh, Raf, you've been around as long as me. We know what the awards are like. 
in the learning industry. Now, there's awards and there's awards. And what I mean by that, yeah. <laughs> there is there is awards that are a high caliber and highly regarded and ones we all look at and aspire to as um, either vendors and or as organizations deploy learning initiatives. And there's also the others that we know have got some sort of more um, a different approach and more streamlined approach to them and there's not as much rigor applied in the judging mm-hmm. of those awards. In my, in my view, my perspective is, yes, I think awards are great for the vendor in relation to publicity and um, uh, raising awareness of who they are and what they've done and what they've achieved. But you need to back it up with performance. You need to back it up with some substance. So, um, yes, yep. look at awards, but also look at the award structure, the nomination process. And look, and I've been having a, few, a bit of a discussion lately. It's good to also know who some of the judges were on these awards because I think it's mm-hmm. relevant. I think it's relevant to know who some of the judges are because the credibility and the integrity of the judges is important because you'll know that they've got some insight into the variety of learning initiatives that are out there and they're able to make a sort of a holistic and, and um, informed judgment on the recipients. So um, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. I think uh, look, it is a touchy one and uh, I would say to people, nominate for awards, uh, but when you're looking at awards for selection, tread carefully. Absolutely. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the other thing to, to often understand is, is you know, awards and, and references um, and, and that side of things starts to give you a bit of an insight of, I guess, the capability of uh, a learning provider. Uh, and it kind of shows you what they're able to achieving. It, it gives you a bit of an insight into the journey uh, to achieving an outcome. So I guess, you know, they, they've worked out, hey, we need this thing. And then the learning provider's been able to take that client from that need all the way through to, I guess, uh, realizing that need and, and implementing some sort of solution. Yeah. But one of the things that I guess is also important to understand, and it kind of starts to go a little bit to that journey comment you made, is understanding, well, what's the value this learning provider is going to give my organization? And, and what I mean by that is, to your point, no matter which learning provider you go to, they will deliver an end product and it'll be a solution. And, and it's it, it in most cases, will address the need. In, in some cases, you know, some do miss, but, but largely you'll get some kind of outcome. But beyond that, like what is the value this, this provider is actually given the organization beyond just giving us a product? How, how do you get to understand what is their value and, and I guess um, the philosophy that's going to deliver that value? And, and that's a very good point, Ralph, and it goes to, to my second point or my second criterion in selecting a, a learning vendor. I think it's important to understand the people you're dealing with. I think it's important to look at mm-hmm. them as individuals as part of that organisation. Um, I've been very disappointed. I've done a bit of research on this lately. We've been finding that some of the, um, the profiles that I'm looking at from some of the vendors are not exactly the kind of people I would be having an informed learning conversation with. So, mm. uh, for example, I've seen used car salesmen, I've seen encyclopedia salesmen. There's a really cross-section. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm approaching a vendor and I would like to discuss a solution, my mm. aim as an organisation, and I've been in this situation, is to be able to have an informed conversation about how that individual maybe has encountered a similar situation mm-hmm. uh, in their history, in their past, what action did they take? Can they support me in writing a business case? Can they support me in positioning my solution with my executive? Can they support me post 
executive conversations with advice um, in relation to where learning is going, the learning trends, where 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 we're looking with learning. You know, is AR AR AI or or mm-hmm. VR? Talk about the technologies that are out there. Be able to provide me some information. It's that old um, you know ref we call it the trusted advisor. Uh, are, yep. are they going to be a trusted advisor for me in the long run? Look at look at your vendor has a partnership for a long run, not just for the here and now. And vendors yep. are also interested in that part too. I know in my history, I've always positioned myself as someone who can support my clients post implementation of a particular initiative. And I know that a lot of other people like yourself and Matt and those guys have done in the past as well. Mm. Yeah, and and I guess you know that that positioning both goes to I think you know as you said um, the, the 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 solution, but then then the follow up, and, and I guess yeah. that that value it'd be really great to to get an understanding from a vendor that you're talking to around how they have arrived at yes we do deliver value. So, yeah. what sort of evaluation they do after exactly. they've kind of rolled something out to actually be able to go well here's the value we provided this client. And being able to have something quite tangible um, as 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 I guess evidence of the value they provided. I, I see a lot of I guess vendor websites where often you see like testimonials, yeah. and those testimonials like I mean oh you know they were lovely to work with or oh these people thought it was really fun to complete the e learning or something like that. I'm like I mean that's that's great, and I think yeah. that goes to the journey conversation. Um, around how we got there. So obviously you want a vendor that's going to be easy to work with and, and empathetic to your need um, and agile and adaptive. But at the same time, you know, we're not here to make entertainment. Um, we're here to deliver an outcome for an organization. And, and ultimately, if, if you go up there, I guess the, the, the seniority of that organization, the value is being able to say, hey, we invested in this learning provider to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and they did X, Y, and Z, and that actually had a positive impact on our business in some way, not necessarily just a case of, you know, and we made more money, but also, you know, hey, our engagement of our workforce went up. All of a sudden, people were just saying that they were more connected, they felt that they were being invested in with professional development opportunities, or it kind of just helped with the culture to make sure everyone was comfortable in the environment. So being able to define, um, you know, that value and and both in terms of metrics and, and what that actually meant is, yeah. is super important. And you make a good point there, and I'll give you a really good practical example, and that's very relevant what you said, because I'm also like yourself and others, very interested in the impact of learning. I did some work back in my day. I, I led the evaluation of L&D across the ATO and developed a model for evaluation. Maybe that's another conversation some mm. other, other time. But um, as part of my vendor uh, role, when I was in uh, one of the vendors, we were positioning pitching for a particular um, initiative from one of the major petroleum companies, and they had a briefing. So everyone's on a briefing and we're discussing the particular solution and then they open it up as they do with all these briefings to questions and answers. So one of the questions I asked, and the reason I could ask this question is because I've been there, I've done it, and this is the kind of stuff I know that an executive will be looking for. So one of the questions mm-hmm. I asked at this briefing was, so guys, have you developed your measures of success for this solution? Have you thought about how we're gonna how you're gonna measure the success of, of this and how you're gonna report up to the executive about the investment you've made, not only from an ROI, but, but then again, ROI is one I, I treat carefully, but more important about an mm. impact. And, yep. there was silence, and there was silence, Rav. And I thought, I said, kind, that's a good point. We've never really thought about that. I thought, okay, that started then resonating with me because 
the majority of people that were on that phone call were solutions consultants with a sales background. I, yep. was one, I was one of the few, maybe myself and maybe one other, that had that core learning background. And because I've done performance consultancy in the past, one of the key fundamentals of performance consultancy processes to identify, to capture, and to uh, and to start, you know, um, indicating what the measures of success are for any initiative, even prior to even commencing some sort of design or, or build. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there, that's a that's a, a very relevant example about by having someone who's capable and knowledgeable about the learning space, they can have those conversations with you. And can I just like quickly say to Rev? Not just your solutions consultant, but also look at your IDs, look at your developers. Vendors have a range of, um, uh, of roles within that space. So you will have your solutions mm-hmm. consultant, you'll have your instructor designer, you have your developer, you'll have your project manager. Do a research on the profiles of the people that they're intending to put on your project. Have a look at what yeah. they've done. I mean, and some people might have a very detailed social profile, some are not. If they don't, ask for a CV on them. Mm. Ask to see what they've done. Ask to see what their background is. Uh, ask to see what their qualifications are. It's important mm. that you, as an organisation, are confident to deal with the range of people the vendor is putting before you, not just the one or two people. And, and to that point, I guess as part of that initial engagement, so I guess the, we'll call it the, the pre-sale or the sales cycle, should you expect that a vendor, I guess, fronts up an expert in the field relatively early on? Because I guess, you know, there can be two approaches. One is that you've basically got someone who is is a, as a, as a sales, I guess, uh, professional who's, who's basically, you know, applying sales methodology to get you to the point of, of signing on the line. Um, or you can have, I guess, to your point, having someone who is a learning professional um, who is, I guess, primarily guiding that, engagement of kind of getting you to the point of sorting on the line is is it if if i have a vendor and they're just putting salespeople in front of me is that completely bad or, or how how do i how should i i guess expect that relationship to unfold leading up to signing on the line in order for me to i guess have a bit of an insight into what that relationship is going to look like after signing on the line so i guess you know this is you know after marriage happens what's what's the actual <laughs> you know after the wedding what's the marriage look like Good point, Raf. I really, uh, I think it's a very relevant point. And most vendors will receive um, inquiries into their system via some sort of web form. And what they'll do, they'll hand it off to someone in a sales environment. Now, you as an organisation should be saying, should be seeking and saying that I would like to have a conversation with someone who can support me on this. Can we please ensure that there's someone present in the initial conversation that can discuss X, Y, and Z. Can that mm-hmm. can tell me a bit more about micro learning? Yeah, can we have someone there who knows a bit about the um, interactive video in e learning? Because I've seen some of that and I'd like to know mm-hmm. more about it. That's a technical side, but also can we have someone there to talk talk to me about how um, the impact of interactive video and how that can support a learning initiative that I'm looking to undertake in respect to uh, code of conduct or respect mm-hmm. to how H and S. So. Uh, what I'm trying to say to you, and this is something that I've learned the hard way, I even got told there is no role for a learning professional in a vendor sales role. Now, I thought mm. that was that was really surprising, uh, and that was really disappointing too because I know that the, a, a, sales prof, a sales professional needs to have a broad range of skills. And if you're mm. working in the learning space, I think learning 
background and skills and knowledge is vital. So if you're working in the um, yep. in the IT space, solution architecture knowledge is important. Uh, your systems, your servers, your you know, your your developing skills they're very important, but also need to have that sales ability. So you're right. You make a very good point. You need to have that sales capability. But I think in our space, you definitely need to have some core knowledge. So when mm. you go back to your question, so when the vendor sends along their solutions consultant, they'll do that as the initial conversation. As an organization, you can demand, you should be asking for, saying, that's great. At our next visit, can you please bring along X, Y, and Z? Because that's what I expected we were going to be able to discuss today. But it seems like I've not been able to get that. So I need someone who's able to have a conversation with me, an informed conversation around the learning solution I'm anticipating, but more, mm-hmm. more importantly, how the solution can be structured, positioned, and deployed in an organization my size with these type of personas. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it it definitely does, and and uh, and something else that um, as you were talking through that, I just scribbled down an extra question. So, um, <laughs> thinking of I guess vendors, so there are vendors that have specialisations, and then there are ones that sort of cross over both in terms of providing products and services. So when I say product, I mean off the shelf uh, learning library of of micro learning, e learning, whatever you want to call it, something that's off the shelf and it's digital and is pretty much able to plug into your existing infrastructure or, or your users kind of go off and and it's off the shelf. It, it isn't, I guess, bespoke. Um, and then you've got, I guess, the service side. So anything that's bespoke where you're starting from, we have a problem and we need a solution for me is, I guess, the bespoke and, and that's a service. Should you expect different experiences if you're dealing with a product vendor versus a service vendor? Um, and what sort of crossover should you expect in, I guess, how they're approaching you and what you can expect as the, as the value from them? Look, a product vendor is there to sell you the product. It's a bit like, um, it's a bit like McDonald's. So you go to McDonald's mm-hmm. and you say, I'll have a burger. So you choose from a product. And then what's the next response you get from the, the person behind the till? Would you like fries with that? Yep. So a product vendor will, will always use, would you like fries with that analogy? So I'll say, you'll say, okay, can I have the OH&S product? And they'll say to you, well, do you want the, the WH&S product or you also want the Kota Kota product because also that aligns well with this and it sort of segues well, there's, there's similar content and it sort of flows well and so forth and so forth. So a product vendor will be experienced and knowledgeable on their product. And that's where I suppose, and I mean, with all respect to our encyclopedia salesman out there, an encyclopedia salesman can do the upsell or the complementary product sales. They've got that mm-hmm. knowledge. To the thesaurus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so they can do that type of approach. Um, so, yes, what you expect to get from a product vendor will be knowledge understanding of their product, how other organizations have used their product, but what are other products mm. have been deployed to support that product. And what I mean by that, it could be another off-the-shelf product, but it could be another blended learning approach, or it could be some um, mentoring or coaching uh, to support yep. that sort of off-the-shelf product. You know what I'm saying, Ralph. So if I'm not saying it correctly, please add if you want to. But if you're going to a bespoke sort of learning provider, you're looking for a more tailored solution, you need to and you should expect a more informed conversation than, than would you like fries with that? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the thing I'm hearing there is, is even in the, um, even in the product space, um, you sort of do need, um, I guess someone to, to help you how to use that product effectively. So, so to the right. point of a content library, um, 
one of the things that currently is out there, a lot of organizations are adopting is LinkedIn Learning. Mm-hmm. And, and and basically, they're adopting it as, as a product and I guess they're adopting a build it and they will come sort of philosophy uh, to that product. So we implement it, we tell our people and then they go off and they do their own learning. Um, and that's, for me, that's kind of like the equivalent of basically one day, um, you know, sending an email to your organization and saying, hey, we've implemented this great thing. It's called the internet. You can learn <laughs> anything you want on it. Go forth. Hmm. Um, without knowing how to use it most effectively, a lot of people don't know where to start. A, a lot of people don't know how to learn. Um, and, and I guess to that point around, you know, product vendors, if you've got a product vendor that is just focusing on the product and telling you how great the product is, that still leaves a gap for, yeah, but how do I use this product? Uh, how do I use it most effectively? And how do I use it so it delivers the most value to my organization? So, you know, maybe they can provide services around curating that library to map against business objectives or uh, professional development maps or something like that. So you, you, you're implementing the product, but it's, it's not just a technical implementation of, hey, we can access it. It's actually a learning strategy implementation of how does how does it feed into um professional development for the individual, professional development in the role, and, and I guess uh, deliver whatever outcomes the organization wants. So that's probably the thing I, I kind of heard in that, that it, it shouldn't just be a, you know, here's your here's your hamburger um, and, you know, yeah. eat it how you want, I guess. But, but Raph, what we've seen too in that respect, and you, maybe a question for you, I know, I know you're the interviewer, not the guest, but yeah, maybe no. let's, let's have flipping, a bit of a... Flipping the podcast. Let's flip the podcast a bit. So... The biggest thing we've seen, I mean, you go to on Seek and you look at the biggest job advertising has been two things in the learning space we've noticed. It's the L&D scientists, the data, the data analysts. And the other thing we're noticing a lot in our space, Ref, is um, the learning experience designer. Yeah. Now, this LXP guy, you know, LXP, LXPs, LXPs, I think it's going to have to be put part of the Macquarie Dictionary in the next edition because LXPs <laughs> just been going wild. So tell me, Ref. This Alex P individual, is that what you're talking about there in relation to you're going to link, you got a LinkedIn learning, but I, you know, I don't know where to start. Is Alex P person the one that's going to su- supporting the organization to be able to access that LinkedIn learning in a more um, user-friendly approach? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that that role LXP has has popped up. And, and I guess f- in a lot of cases, that role seems to just be an evolution of outdated roles. So, you know, for a while it was, you know, technical writer, became instructional design, and now it's become learning experience. Like, it's still the same role. It's just kind of put in a slightly different package. I guess the, the role I'm talking about is that person who has the learning background and has the skills of really strong analytical um, side of things to understand your business, like properly understand it, um, and then has the problem solving and the creativity to then look at the product and go, here's how we use this to actually address an issue or achieve an outcome. So, so I guess they're the the not the glue, but they're almost the the. I'm trying to think of analogy, but I, I'm really struggling. They're, they're yeah. essentially the connection of of how your business and that product are going to cohesively work together, yeah. rather than I guess you know you ending up with potentially all these learning initiatives that they're all in their own little silo. They're not connected. And and basically the only people that benefit are those high performers who go LinkedIn learning. I can develop these skill sets in myself because I'm aware I want to develop those. Whereas most of the organization where people are just, you know, they just want to get their job done. 
and they go, I don't even have time to look at something. Um, how do we, how do we create, I guess, that experience or that strategy that it, it kind of comes to them and they don't have to overthink it. So that's, that's, I guess, the person that, that we need to come in and go, Hey, here's for the high performers, here's for the mid performers. And, and how do we make this product and, and this learning solution be easy to access and be relevant so that someone actually is motivated to use it. Um, because saying it's there isn't going to automatically motivate everyone. Saying how much you invested in it is also not going to motivate people. Exactly. Yeah. Relevance no, right. and relatability will. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've been talking about the last uh, number of minutes, Raf. It's about someone who's got knowledge about positioning learning in organization and how, for your particular organization, how this learning solution, this learning initiative, whatever you want to call it, needs mm-hmm. to be positioned, it needs to be promoted. Yeah, you know, we've heard things about campaign learning, how we're gonna promote it, how we're gonna advertise it, how we're gonna create the momentum for people to then jump on this new system that we've got. Because we all know if you build it, they don't always come. It's about exactly why would I come? Why do I need to come to this particular learning um, portal to to do some learning? Yes, you've got LinkedIn learning, but what does it mean for me? It's the old whiffer. Yeah. We all know with learning it's about whiffing. So you make a really good point, Raf. And um, and almost kind of you know uh, talking to the to the composition of the organisation you're dealing with, uh, and this this might be a bit of a contentious point, but if I'm looking at say you know you're looking at the backgrounds of various people uh, within that that learning organisation, I I want to see a structure where there is this person who I guess is the learning architect or the learning advisor or the LXP or, or whatever it is Th- this role that their expertise is learning. Um, and then the team underneath that, I necessarily don't want to see all just L&D background. So, uh, for example, let's say, you know, hey, here's the, here's the multimedia developer <laughs> and they're an L&D and their entire career, all they've done is L&D. Because I think sometimes the L&D space has a pretty neat and tight box around it. I want to see that, that hey, that person's got experience of working in the L&D space and before that, they were just a graphic designer for just companies out there, their own freelancers. So they're a graphic design or a technical development expert. And now they've been brought in to bring that skill set into a learning context because executing that idea and applying good UX and applying good visual design, those are already really heavy skill sets to have. Um, and you don't want them watered down by, oh, and you know, I've only been doing this in a learning context for the last 10 years. Um, this is probably speaking quite badly against myself uh, because <laughs> oh, so that's kind of the world I've lived in. But you kind of want to know that the team has a diversity um, so that everyone's got their own lens and everyone is bringing industry expertise into learning rather than kind of just having this bubble around and, hey, it's the learning industry, so good enough is is kind of, yeah, that, that'll kind of go through. So, no, I, yeah, I agree. That, yeah. I agree. That's what I said before about look at the, the variety of roles, but also look at the, their, yeah. their backgrounds too not just not just in learning so for example if a project manager has not been in the learning space it doesn't as a organization looking to contract that vendor i'm not going to be stressed about it uh, mm. but the, the instruction designer definitely i would like to see some learning background but your, your graphic mm. your multimedia people your e-learning developers you know your it people definitely i agree with you totally there i like to see diversity but your key roles being your solutions consultant uh your mm-hmm. pre-sales people maybe and also i would say you're definitely your instructional designers uh they might have mm-hmm. been done some done some other similar instructional design but i definitely want to see them being in the learning space and especially to see a combat a variety of maybe corporate government 
and other sort of similar sort of cross-section roles. Yeah, for for for, for sure. And and yeah, I think sure, you know yeah. that that ensures that you've got a, a really good mix of, of expertise Correct. behind your learning solution. Exactly right. Yeah, diversity is great. Hey, Hey, uh, what about, I guess, you know, we've talked about what to look for um, and, you know, how, what, what sort of value you're looking for, the makeup of the organization, um, how they approach their sales cycle. Um, but what about, I guess, some of the, the big mistakes and the big traps uh, you've seen organizations make when it comes to picking a, uh, a learning provider? What, what are, I guess, some of the call outs that, you know, if, if people just, you know, happen to fast forward to this end bit and there was, two, three, four tips, you went, hey, avoid this, 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 or here's the common traps. What would those be um, so we can help people kind of as of tomorrow start actioning, okay, I, I won't do this thing? Well, the first thing is your support. So be clear about what kind of support you will get during the, the development process, but also post-implementation. Uh, you know, look at some SLAs in relation to how quickly your support queries will be handled. A variety mm. of our vendors will have their critical, their high, and then sort of low impact um, issues, and they'll uh, have some SLAs around them. Sorry, SLAs, service uh, service level agreement. So um, mm-hmm. it's about, you know, if it's a critical one, we'll, we'll answer it within an hour. If it's a, a high one, we'll answer within three hours. If it's an important one, we'll answer in one day, something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, look at that. I think, I think the traps that a lot of organizations fall into is not um, looking closely at or um, – undertaking analysis of that support. And the vendor should be able to provide you with um, some stats, some broad stats around their support queries and how quickly they've addressed them. They all keep stats. They all have them as KPIs. And I'm, I don't think there's anything private about them to provide you, you know, uh, 80% of our support queries were answered within SLA guidelines. That's all mm. you need to know. So, mm-hmm. you know, and again, there's got to be a bit of a trust. So look at the stats they've got around responding to support. The other thing I would also say, with if you, you know, like you said, what are some of the other trappings, is look at the, like I said before, touched on a bit before, the journey. Look at the, look at the implementation project plan that they will provide you, and scrutinise that. For example, so let's say we uh, do not get executive sign off at this particular point. What mm-hmm. are some of the, what are some of the mitigation strategies we will have in place to ensure that our project plan continues? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. So, so in, let's say my exec is away for a week. I can't get a hold of my exec to get that sign off to that particular milestone. What can we continue to do so that way the project can, can still hum along? Yeah, it doesn't uh, stall. It doesn't stall. So look at look at some of the, the project plan. Look at some of those milestones and and consider what ifs. Put your black hat on. Mm-hmm. And say what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? And and. Just chuck them out there to the vendor and see what their response is. Yeah. And the most the response of the vendor will be, oh, we've done come across that too often. Well, you know what? Murphy's law applies. If it's going to yeah. happen, it's going to happen to me. Yeah. So always <laughs> put put that approach in. Uh, what else can we do? And the other things about the, the other trap, I suppose, um, scrutinise has a, and this is important, and, and scrutinise the initial agreement and what you're getting. So how much level mm-hmm. support are you going to get? Uh, what is actually being delivered? You know, look, scrutinize actual deliverables, uh, the look, the implementation, the deployment. Uh, what I mean by that is make sure you're going to get what you're paying for. Oh, yeah. that wasn't. Oh, that wasn't in the contract. Well, you know what? No, you talked. You said that that was. Oh, but it wasn't. But no, we had we had a conversation, and you told me that was going to be included. 
oh, but you didn't read the contract. So if the yep. vendor has promised something, make sure you see it in the contract. Make sure you can identify it somewhere. And if you can't, ask them to point it out for you where it is in the contract, in the agreement. Because yep. what you find is, and, and this is not done in some sort of um, way of trying to deceive. Sometimes a vendor, the vendor's representative may say something, but it's not being captured in the contract because it's forgotten about. It's not, uh, not you know, uh, known at that time. So it just gets left out. It just make sure that if it has been uh, mentioned and you would like to see that, that it's captured. Yeah. Like I said, it's not it's yep. not about being deceitful. It's about just making sure the uh, you dot the I's and cross the T. So do your due diligence, and of course, get your legal representatives to look at the contract. Because there's a few times that you'll need to sort of uh, go through that with a fine tooth comb for some um, obligations and expectations. So that would be my my three there, Raf. Would be about looking at what you're getting for your contract. Look at the milestones, the project plan, and see if you can uh, look at the what-if uh, scenarios. And then also, mm-hmm. uh, more importantly, look at the support you're getting um, and what kind of uh, service standards the vendor has and what have been mm-hmm. some of the stats, the more recent stats uh, they've had and maybe some of the uh, the commentary they received from, from clients around uh, support they've received. Okay. Yep. No, those uh, sound, yeah, very, very, um, you know, they, they should definitely help, I guess. Avoid some of the pitfalls of oh I thought or we discussed and they kind of didn't end up so uh, absolutely very very uh very useful. Uh, in closing out this conversation, is there any other comments you have or or, or I guess you know um, tips that that people really I guess should take away from this and and something that you know practically be able to start thinking about. Well, the first thing is if you think you need support and help from someone, reach out. Uh, the learning community yep. is very very uh, helpful. Uh, whether it be LinkedIn or Twitter, hey, has anyone looked at a solution like this? And has anyone talked to any particular vendors you might think are appropriate? Now, what happens with that, unfortunately, via LinkedIn, you'll get every single vendor says, I'm going to DM you, I'm going to DM you. So that's yep. okay. You'll, you'll get a lot of those, but you'll also get within that is trying to sort through the ones that are saying, hey, we worked with X, we thought it was okay, give me a call, I'll tell you more. Now, there will be yep. a lot of um, organizations that will support their vendor. So just you know, treat it with that sort of um, perspective, but have a conversation. So reach out, but also reach out to independent people like myself and others who are out there who are not aligned with any particular vendor. And I mean that. I mean, uh, what I'm going to be priding myself is as a learning professional, but not aligned to any particular one. My aim is to ensure that the solution that we agree on is something that the vendor can provide. So look at people that are out there who are supporting organizations to identify the right vendor for their solution. The last, mm-hmm. thing I'll leave, the last thing I'll leave you with, a lot of organizations are sort of um, wedded to the same vendor because they've had them for one, two, three, four, five years. And that's okay. Yep. The relationship is good and effective. Don't. It's a bit like um, your health insurance or your electricity provider. Don't be scared to move. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know we've got to make it easier to move, but don't be scared to move. If you see something that's more suitable or more appropriate for your needs and you've done your due diligence and you've gone through the criteria we talked about, don't be scared to move because mm-hmm. yeah. by continuing to be with the same people, you're just going to get the same sort of service. Now, a comfort zone is is great and, yeah, we all love our little safety blanket and being happy with what we've got. But you know what? What you don't know is you don't know what else is out there and you can get in maybe better value, uh, a better system, but also greater support and conversations with a trusted advisor from some other organization than you are with your current organization. I'll leave you with that, Raf. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a really great point. I think everyone these days is quite familiar with every year checking on their car insurance and their electricity, uh, which are, they cost a lot less generally than a, than a learning vendor. So, you know, make that part of the plan and, and actually review it and make sure you are getting the best deal and the best value. Um, Con, it's been uh, wonderful uh, to have you on the podcast. Um, some really, really great insights that you've been able to share with us. So, so thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Raf. I really appreciate that. If uh, people want to find me, just uh, search Consotitas, or I'm known as the Learning Broker in my profile. But you can yep. also catch me on Twitter at LearnCoach. That's L E A R N K O T C H at LearnCoach on Twitter. Uh, and uh, happy to drop me a line, have a conversation. Uh, I love talking learning, as you can tell, Rev, and you know me well <laughs> yep. enough. So uh, if anyone ever wants to have a chat, I mean, I would say have yep. a coffee, but these days we can't, have, we can't have too many coffees, but one day we will. But let's have a <laughs> chat and uh, we can go from there. Thanks very much, Rev. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks again, Con. And uh, for anyone listening, uh, links and tags will be in the description. Thanks so much for listening again. Uh, any questions or anything that pops up, please do share those and uh, look forward to you listening to another podcast. Thanks again. Bye. Next to continue.